You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Happy New Year. I'm Jared Cunningham, Worship Coordinator for Citrus Church and host of the Refresh Podcast, where we aim to take a deeper dive into our faith and extend the conversations beyond Sunday morning. I hope you had a chance to relax and enjoy the holidays as we continue to be safe and practice social distancing. I, for one, did not do much. It was a rather unproductive time, but thankfully the new year opens us up to the opportunity to make resolutions and try new things, and Brian's first sermon series of the new year focuses on just that. It's called Habits, and the goal is to see what the Bible says about forming habits. And to do that, Brian is taking a look at the life of Daniel and the habits he formed. In hearing about Daniel, I was reminded of another important figure from the Bible, not because of her habits, but because her story takes place shortly after Daniel's. I got my first real understanding of Esther in high school. I went to a Christian high school, and because it was a Christian high school, Bible classes were mandatory. One of the Bible teachers was a smart, very straightforward guy named Mr. Adams, and one of the takeaways I got from his class was that not only is it important to know the Bible, it's important to understand what's going on historically and culturally. And Mr. Adams also read a lot, and he would give books to students as, you know, gifts. And honestly, I only remember reading two of the ones he gave me, because at the time I wasn't much of a reader. And one was a book about how God used unlikely people throughout the Bible. And it mentioned people like Samson and Jonah, John the Baptist, and many others. And I don't fully remember the specifics that were pointed out in the book, but by far the most memorable one after all these years is still Esther. At first, the book of Esther was kind of odd for me because I wasn't sure when it took place. And I would imagine the same is probably true for a lot of people. Thanks to Mr. Adams and a little refresher from my good old friend Google, I can give a little background on how we get to Esther. Now, bear with me, I'm going to try my best to make 400 years worth of history sound as simple as possible. We're all familiar with King David, so he seems like the easiest place to start. So, after David's reign ends, his son Solomon takes over, and after Solomon, the nation of Israel decides to split into two kingdoms the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judea. Numerous kings rule in each kingdom until Israel is conquered by the Assyrians and Judea is conquered by the Babylonians. The book of Daniel takes place during Babylon's reign, and soon afterwards, Babylon is conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and Esther takes place during the Persian reign. The book of Esther opens with King Ahasuerus throwing a banquet for his officials, and from here on out, I'll refer to him as the king because I don't want to say that name too many times. But being in a festive mood, he wanted to show off his wife, Queen Vashti. He sends servants to bring her to the banquet, but she refuses to attend and outrage. The king decides she should be dealt with and he and his officials decide she'll no longer be queen and she'll be sent away. If you're not a fan of that, the VeggieTales version isn't much better. Because in it, the king sends a servant to ask Queen Vashti to make him a sandwich. It's three o'clock in the morning. She refuses. And the servant throws her out. I know, two great openings to start a story, and we're just getting started. Anyway, the search for a new queen begins, and we meet Esther and her cousin Mordecai, who is Esther's legal guardian. 
Esther is taken to the palace where she ultimately becomes the new queen. However, at the suggestion of Mordecai, she does not reveal that she is Jewish. After she becomes queen, Mordecai learns that some servants are planning to assassinate the king, and he reports it to Esther, who then tells the king, thereby saving his life. We next meet Haman, the king's high-ranking official, and because of his rank, people are, I guess, basically instructed to show respect and kind of bow in his presence. Most go along with it, except Mordecai. This outrages Haman, and rather than solely plotting against Mordecai, Haman plots to eliminate all the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. He presents the idea to the king under the accusation that a group of people were causing trouble for the Persians. He didn't exactly name the Jewish people, as the Bible kind of reads. And the king agrees, and a decree is sent out that the Jewish people would soon be eradicated. When the news reaches Mordecai, he sends word to Esther and he's begging her to speak with the king. And at first she's hesitant because approaching the king without being summoned was literally a death sentence. With more convincing, Esther agrees to go before the king. And it's also here in Esther 414, Mordecai points out, who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for a time such as this. Esther approaches the king, and as the Bible says, he found favor with her and asked, what is it, Queen Esther, whatever you want. She invites the king and Haman to a banquet, and at this banquet, she invites them to another banquet to be held the next night. As Haman makes his way home, he comes across Mordecai, and after a small altercation, we'll say, Haman makes plans to have him killed in the morning. However, during the same night, the king learns that the man who saved his life, Mordecai, was never rewarded. And that morning before Haman can follow through on his plans for Mordecai, the king asks him what he should do for a person he wanted to honor. And unaware that it was Mordecai, Haman suggests clothing the person in some of the king's robes and parading them through the street on some of the best horses and to be escorted by one of the king's highest officials. The king loves the idea and sends Haman as Mordecai's escort. And of course, Haman hates every minute of it. Haman is then rushed to the next banquet where Esther and the king are waiting. And it's here that Esther reveals that she is Jewish and she requests that the king spare her life as well as the life of her people from Haman's wrath. The king is outraged. Again, there's a lot of outraged people in this book. And he decrees that Haman be put to death, that Mordecai take his place as the king's second in command, and he repeals the decree to eliminate the Jews. Essentially, that's the story of Esther. And at face value... Esther can be summed up as a story about being in the right place at the right time. However, it feels like there is more going on. In the 66 books of the Bible, two have one very specific thing in common. The books of Esther and Solomon, or Song of Songs, depending on your Bible. And in these two books, there's no reference to God. Meaning, the book of Esther, the longer of the two books, with more than 4,900 words, has no mention of the God of our faith. And I'm not sure who the author of Esther is, but I'd assume they didn't mention God on purpose because as we read it, we can clearly see God is present in protecting his people. We see it when Esther is chosen as the next queen, when Mordecai saves the king's life, when Esther's life is spared, when she goes before the king initially to invite them to the banquet, when Haman's plots all fall through, even in the times where the Bible says Esther found favor with the king and her servants. 
Although God isn't mentioned, we know that he was at work and that he was with the Jewish people just as he is with us. And and in worship the last two weeks, we've been singing a song entitled God With Us by All Sons and Daughters. And though it's not a Christmas song or an Advent song, it talks about what God came into the world to do. And it says he came to bring peace and life and to be light and love. And to be hope and to bear our sins. He is our deliverer, our savior, and our redemption. He is our Emmanuel. He's God with us. And I think we can all agree that at times during 2020, it was hard to see how God was at work. Then again, in these difficult times, we've also seen these many outpourings of generosity, not just within our church family, but across the globe. And maybe those are our signs that God is still at work with us and still at work within the world. Paul ends Ephesians 3 with these words. Glory to God, who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us. And my hope and my prayer is that as we embark on this new year, and as difficult as it may be at times, just as it might have been as difficult for the Jewish people at that time, that we see more signs and feel that God is with us. And to wrap things up, I hope you enjoyed this first episode of the new year for the Refresh podcast. If you haven't already, you can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook. And while you're on Facebook, join the Citrus Grove group. It's a great way to connect with others. As I said earlier, our current sermon series is entitled Habits, and we're moving on to part two this week. You can join us on Sundays in person at Summer Lake Elementary at 1030. And if you would like, you can register online ahead of time. We will also be live streaming to Facebook. Again, I hope you enjoyed the holidays and that you feel God is at work as we progress through this year. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.